This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. We turn to Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 11. And uh, as we look together at God's word, remember that in Acts chapter 10, the third barrier was broken through. Jesus had given a commission to his disciples. He said, wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you, and then you will be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So when the Holy Spirit came upon the 120 disciples in the upper room in Jerusalem, they were a witness to everyone in Jerusalem, and 3,000 were saved. And then there were 6,000 that were saved. And then God led for the gospel to spread to the Samaritans, and the Samaritans came to Christ. And then the third barrier was broken when God gave Peter a trance, letting down a sheet from heaven, and he was to go and proclaim to Cornelius a centurion, a Roman centurion, and his household the gospel because God does not show favoritism, but he wants all people from all nations to come to faith in him. The third barrier was the Gentiles. So Jews came to Christ, Samaritans came to Christ, who were half Jewish and half Gentile, and now full-blown Gentiles had come to Christ. Chapter 11 is what happens after that, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. And I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, 
but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul went with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this incredible episode in the life of the early church, reacting first negatively to the fact that Gentiles were included, but then realizing that you are giving us an equal opportunity gospel that's for all peoples, Jews and Gentiles alike. Father, we thank you for this because we are Gentiles. Many of us here are Gentiles, and we would not be included in the people of God except by your grace and your plan, the mystery revealed from ages past, that Gentiles as well as Jews should be part of the people of God. Thank you for that good news. Bless us as we look into your word more deeply in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's message is entitled, Time and Lives are Changing, Acts chapter 11. And the question that we see in Acts chapter 11 is this. In what ways are times and lives changing around us? In what ways are times and lives changing around us? I believe we see these changes. There are new people who are hearing the word of God. There are old critics who are trying to shut down change. We see God at work, and when we do, it encourages us and helps us to accept change. Training new Christians is essential work, and the Lord wants you and me to prepare to respond to even more change. So let's look at each of these points from Acts chapter 11. First of all, 
New people are hearing the Word of God. Time and lives are changing, and one of those changes is that new people are hearing the Word of God. Acts chapter 11, verse 1. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the Word of God. This is a wonderful thing, how communication travels so quickly. I was told by then-chairman Chuck Bain, there's three ways to get a message out quickly. One is telephone, another is telegraph, and the third is telechurch. So the news spread so quickly that as soon as Peter had entered into Cornelius' house and shared with these Gentiles and they had become bona fide believers, the word spread all the way from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Tell a church. Now, having heard this, there is good news. The good news is no matter what's happening in the world today, the gospel is not restrained. The gospel is not put in a cage. The good news of forgiveness of sin through faith in Jesus Christ is spreading even in the midst of persecution or pandemic. The gospel is unchained. It is spreading. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, first to the Jew and then also to the Greek, to the Gentile. Praise God for this incredible gospel that is for all peoples. And this is when the church first began to discover this. With this pandemic, you would think with the shutdown, with the social distancing, with the wearing of masks, that the church would be curtailed, that it would be hindered. I know of churches, let's say a church of a thousand, that because of having Facebook Live, people who ordinarily wouldn't darken the doors of a church are tuning in and watching the church service and hearing the Word of God, and many are coming to faith. Just the opposite is happening. More people are hearing the gospel during this time than any other. We need to rejoice, don't we? We need to praise God that He is not slowed down or hamstringed by any of the things that we see in the news or are experiencing in our lives. However, point number two is old critics are trying to shut down change. That's not new. Traditionalists have always tried to question people when new things happen. And uh, someone wrote a book, The Famous Seven Last Words of the Church. It's never been done that way before. Seven last words of the church. It's never been done that way before. So traditionalists, legalists, are questioning, they are criticizing Peter. It says in Acts chapter 11, verses 2 and 3, So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. The word there is they contended with him. They made distinction between Jew and Gentile. It was like, I have a bone to pick with you. I have a bone of contention to pick with you. Now notice what that was. It says they criticized him and they said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with them. 
the news had come all the way to the church of Jerusalem that Gentiles had become Christians. But instead of these people being upset that how is it that Gentiles have become Christians, they were upset that Peter associated with Gentiles, that he went into their house, that he ate food with them. People, people, you're picking at a nit. You're a nitpicker, and you're missing the big point. This is humongous. This is history-making. This is a paradigm shift that Gentiles have become Christians, that they've received the same Holy Spirit that the Jewish people received on the day of Pentecost. They are bona fide Christians. They're part of the body of Christ. That's the big news. But what do the critics focus in on? You did what? You actually went into a Gentile's house? You actually sat down and ate food with Gentiles? How dare you? How could you? Now, this is an indictment to us because we could be old fuddy-duddies and we could get in the way of the gospel spreading. We could be critics of those who are doing God's work and we need to be supportive. We need to be prayerful. We need to realize that we have a gospel of grace and that there's freedom in Christ. And rather than picking at people or criticizing people because they do it exactly the same way, we should be loving them and cheering them on. But this legalistic element will raise its head again. And Paul will have to address it in the book of Galatians where they're still insisting on the old ways. They're still saying the only way you could become a Christian if you're a Gentile is first you have to become a proselyte, and then you become Jewish, then you become a Christian. No! You don't have to become circumcised. You don't have to do all of these things that Jewish people did to become a Christian. If you're a Gentile, if you trust in Christ by faith, you have the Holy Spirit, and you are bona fide saved. And there's no Jesus plus the law. There's no Jesus plus works to be saved. Jesus alone saves us. His shed blood cleanses us. His resurrection gives us eternal life. And you don't have to go through spiritual gymnastics in order to become a Christian. It's by faith by grace, by God's word, in Jesus' name. Now notice that when they criticized Peter, he had nothing to fear. He just recounted exactly what happened. He was on solid ground because he was telling them of what God told him to do. And you know, the bottom line is going to be this. If you got a problem with what I did, take it up with God, because he's the one who told me to do this. That's going to be his bottom line as he talks about this. So in Acts chapter 11, verse 4, starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. And uh, in this story, we see such things as this. Verse 12, the Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. Uh, verse 13, an angel appeared at Cornelius' house and told him that a message would be given to him so he could be saved. 
And he also referred to the word of God. Verse 16, then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will baptize me, baptize with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift, then who, are, who am I? Who am I? Who is I to think that I could stand in God's way? Once they heard this, they were able to accept it for the time being. But the legalists will come back again. But how about you and I? When we see God working in a new way in our day, instead of criticizing, how about seeking to understand how God is working? Henry Blackaby said that what we need to do is we need to see how God is working and cooperate with him. Rather than seeing something new and criticize, see how God's working and cooperate with him. That's the key. When we understand how God by his spirit is working according to his word, we're all in. We back that. We support it. And we have peace with it. So seeing God work helps accept change. It says in verse 11 of 18, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is important. They, this is the most important verse you might want to circle, 18b. So then, even the Gentiles, <clears throat> God has granted repentance that leads to life. The point to this is humongous. As Peter, uh, Paul mentioned, it's a mystery that has been revealed. Let me read to you Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 18. Paul writes, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You were without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He has made the two groups, Jews and Gentiles, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Praise the Lord, for Jesus is our peace. He has made it possible for both Jew and Gentile to enter into the Holy of Holies and have communion with a holy God. In Galatians 3.28 it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And in Colossians 3.11, Here there is not 
Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. And we have uh, this wonderful word in Ephesians 3, 5 to 10. The mystery that was made known to the sons of men in other generations has been revealed to this to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which is given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the apostles, Paul writes, this grace was given to preach to the gospels, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Praise be to God. We're part of that mystery that's been revealed, that we as Gentiles have been grafted as wild branches into the natural olive tree. That's all by the grace of God. So we now see point number four, that training new Christians is essential work. With all the spread of people due to persecution that began in Acts chapter 8 after the stoning of Stephen, uh, people were spreading the gospel far and wide. And as they spread the gospel, they went to the city Antioch. Now Antioch was a major city in the Roman Empire. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire after uh, Alexandria and Rome. It was so huge that it had half a million in population. It had a main street that was four miles long, and this main street was uh, having marble colonnades on both sides. And it was the first and only city in the ancient world at that time that had its streets lighted by night. It was a busy port. It was a center for luxury and culture. And uh, it was 300 miles north of Jerusalem, the capital of Syria. Antioch was a major place. It was a wicked place, second only in Corinth, in wickedness. And the gospel was taking hold. People were coming to Christ. And now the church sent Barnabas to go to Antioch so that these new believers could be established. It says in Acts 11.23, when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And that's essential. When a person becomes a Christian, they are a babe in Christ. And they're vulnerable. Cults prey on new Christians because new Christians haven't been established in the Word. So cults want to recruit new Christians to be part of their heretical group. That's why they need to be established in the faith. They needed to be rooted and grounded in Christ. And that's why discipleship training is so important. It's essential work. You know, in our day, uh, there was a time where you could not go out unless you were an essential worker. Discipleship, discipleship trainers are essential workers. We need to be training people in the faith. Many of you are parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, and you are training your family members in the faith. That's so essential. And notice that Barnabas 
encouraged them. He First of all, he rejoiced in their salvation. The Bible says that angels in heaven rejoice when even one soul is saved. Aren't you glad when someone comes to know the Lord? We need to rejoice that people are coming to trust Jesus. But secondly, we need to encourage them because they don't know the way. They're young pups and they need to learn the ropes. And we need to show the way. But notice that Barnabas's emphasis was this, that they remain true to the Lord with all their heart. Whatever discipleship training you provide, make sure you say devotion to the Lord and to his word is most important. Don't go to the right, don't go to the left. Hang on to the Lord and to his word for dear life. That's where it's at. We need to be making disciples. And you know what? In making disciples, we need to realize we need help. We can't do it alone. And so it says in Acts eleven twenty five to 26, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So now you need to know from the original language, when it says that Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, the word look for means he had to search diligently. It wasn't like he went to Tarsus and looked up in the white pages, you know, where he lives. He had to search up and down different streets, ask at different places, where's uh, Saul the tent maker? Where's Saul the church planter? Where's Saul the guy who's been persecuted and going through all sorts of um, pain and suffering for Jesus? Oh, that guy. I saw him over here last. I saw him over here last. Finally, Barnabas, in his long, hard search, finds Saul remembers that Saul was called to be a, an apostle to the Gentiles, and he brings Saul, who will later be called Paul, to help him in discipleship training in Antioch. Isn't that Barnabas living up to his name? His name means son of encouragement. He was always lifting others up. And that's what we need to do. We need to always encourage one another. As long as it's called today, encourage one another so that the deceitfulness of sin might not harden your hearts, it says in Hebrews 3.13. So encouragement is a key aspect to ministry. And part of encouragement is empowering other Christians to do the ministry. He realized he couldn't do it by himself. He needed help, and he went and got Saul. D.L. Moody said, I'd rather get 10 people to do the work of ministry than do 10 people's worth of ministry. So we need to recruit others to be disciple-makers as well, to provide training in following the Lord and knowing His Word. The final point is this. The Lord wants you and me to prepare to respond to more change. At this point, you moan, you groan, and you say, Oh, come on! We've experienced so much change. I don't want any more change. I want to go back to the old normal, not the new normal, and not more of another normal. I want the old. And you're saying there may be more change? Yes. The only thing that's constant is change. The only thing that you can depend on is things will keep on changing. And we need to rely on the grace of the Lord and the strength of the Lord and the wisdom of the Lord during the midst of that change, don't we? Well, here's a prophet, and his name is Agabus. 
And he stood up through the Spirit and predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And this happened during the reign of Claudius. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. And during that famine, the people of God decided they were going to lay aside contributions in order to help the believers in Jerusalem. And we can read about that in several New Testament texts where Paul commends the people, even in their poverty, of first giving themselves to the Lord and then giving generously to those in need. Agabus, a prophet, is also mentioned later in Acts chapter 21, verses 10 and 11, where it says, after he, we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, coming over to us. He took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. So there was a place for a prophet to speak about what was going to happen. But my friends, realize this, that every word of prophecy must be tested against Scripture. Anything that's from the Lord is true and shall come to pass. There are many who want to make predictions, and predictions are not the same as prophecies. The Bible says, test all and hold fast to that which is true. It says, Test all things, hold fast what is good. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 If it's no good and it's not true and it's misleading, have nothing to do with it. But in this case, it was bona fide. It was true. It said there's change coming and it ain't good. But guess what? When you think you've got it bad, there are people who have it worse than you do. There are people who really are in need of help. So as poor as the people of Macedonia were, there were poor, working-class Christians and slaves in Jerusalem who, due to the famine, would not be able to provide food for their families. And they were starving. And the Christians in Macedonia set aside portions so that when the elders collected that and gave it to Barnabas and Saul to bring over, they had a generous amount to share with their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need to remember that, that compared to two-thirds of the world, we are wealthy, and we need to give generously unto the Lord. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.